Well, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Exodus 34. Our text today will be Exodus 34, uh, 29 through 35, as we continue to walk through the book of Exodus together. If you've been with us, you know that we've covered a lot of ground. In fact, we're nearing the end of our study in Exodus. We've seen how God has rescued His people out of their slavery there in Egypt, uh, how He has taken them from a wicked king, from Pharaoh, and He's now leading them to the land of promise. And on the way to the promised land, we've seen how God has given His word to His people uh, through the mediator Moses. So we've seen Moses there at the mountain of God at Mount Sinai go up and down the mountain multiple times. In fact, at this point, he's gone up and down at least four times. And during that time, God is giving his word to Moses, and then Moses will go and give the word to the people. But what we'll see in today's text is there's something very different about Moses this time as he comes down the mountain. And so we're going to look at Exodus 34, verses 29 through 35. And out of reverence for God's Word, if you're able, if you would stand as I read today's text for us. And this is what God's Holy Word says. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face, Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he had commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. If you would pray with me. Father, we pray as we look to this word uh, that you would do a work in our hearts that, Lord, you would protect our minds from distractions in these moments, that we might see more of the gospel, that we might learn more about Jesus as we study this text concerning Moses and this shining face as he descended the mountain. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. As I mentioned, we are nearing the end of our time in the book of Exodus. And as we do, it's helpful to consider the the big picture of what we've seen taking place here. One of the big pictures has been just the transformation we've seen in Moses. And when you consider how Moses was when we first encountered him in those early chapters of Exodus. In fact, the first face we really see of Moses is there in Exodus chapter 2 where his face burns with anger. It's in Exodus chapter 2 that Moses encounters the Egyptian beating the Hebrew and his face burns with anger to the point that Moses murders this Egyptian. Soon after this we see a different face of Moses, a face of fear and a face of shame. Because as soon as it becomes known that he had murdered this Egyptian, he seeks to run and he seeks to hide and he flees the land of Egypt. 
Soon after that, we see Moses have his first encounter with the living God as God comes to him in Exodus 3 and speaks to him from the burning bush. And there, the text tells us that Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And quite a bit happens then between Exodus 3 and Exodus 33 and 34. During that time, we see how Moses grows in his faith. We see how Moses is the mediator and speaks on behalf of God to the people. All the way up to Exodus 33, where we get to this point where now God and Moses have an intimate relationship. And in fact, the text tells us there in Exodus 33 that the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And now we know that Moses did not literally speak face to face with the Lord because the Lord tells Moses, no man may see his face and live. But the text is telling us something about the nature of Moses' relationship with God. He is the one who was allowed to enter into the glory of God. And now as he is descending the mountain in Exodus 34, we see that he has been transformed. We see that he has been marked by meeting with the Lord. In fact, verse 29 tells us that the skin of Moses' face shone because he had been talking with God. And so today I want us just to take a few moments to consider why this is significant. Why it's significant that Moses' appearance has now changed because of his encounter with God. And how does that actually relate to us today? Now how does this teach us about the gospel of Jesus Christ? And how are we to respond to this text this morning. Now, these are the things we'll consider as we walk through these verses together, beginning with the first point there in your outline. Now, we see here that Moses' face, it, it, he radiated the glory of God. His face shone because Moses radiated the glory of God. Again, verse 29 tells us the skin of his face shone. Now there's been some misunderstandings of this passage, especially in the earlier Latin translations of the Bible. Because in the original Hebrew, the word that's used here for shown is almost identical to another word that means horns. And in the early translations of the Latin, the, the Vulgate of the Bible, we find a mistranslation there. And that mistranslation reads this way, Moses grew horns out of his face. And that may sound kind of odd to us today, but, but that was exactly how the early readers in the Latin took it. In fact, if you look at early artwork during the Renaissance period, people like Michelangelo, they depicted the prophet Moses with horns coming out of his head. All because they misunderstood the translation of this verse. And what I think they entirely missed was a bit of wordplay here. I think that it's very intentional that God had Moses use in the original Hebrew a word that could easily be confused between shown and horns because I think God is making a point. And the point is this. Consider what we've just seen recently in our study of Exodus. While Moses is up the mountain, the people grow anxious. The people grow worried. That their leader is not there among them and so they decide they'll make their own mediator. They'll make their own leader. They'll fashion with their own hands who they will say is the one who led them out of Egypt. And what do they do? They melt down their gold and they make this golden cow, this golden calf with horns. And that's who they worship. That's who they praise. 
That was not the mediator from God. That was not the one who had led them out of Egypt. And I think there's a point here being made about the contrast between the one that they chose to make with their own hands and who it was that God was providing for them. Because it is Moses, the mediator from God, who comes down the mountain and his face literally shone. And why did it shine? Well, the text tells us in verse 29, because he had been talking with God. Now, this is not the first time that Moses has been up and down the mountain. This is not the first time Moses has talked with the Lord. So why the difference now? Well, if you'll recall, this was the first time that Moses had been so bold as to say to the Lord, show me your glory. He wanted to see the glory of God. Now, God told him, no one can see my face and live. But he grants Moses the request in this way. He tells Moses that his presence, the Lord's presence, will pass by Moses. He'll hide Moses in the cleft of a rock. He'll cover him, but Moses will be able to catch a glimpse of the glory as it passes by him. Now when this actually takes place, we find Moses quickly falls and plants his face in the ground. But as he is going down, he must have caught just a glimpse, just a bit of the glory of God. And that was enough to change Moses' appearance so that now his face was radiating because he had experienced God's glory. Moses, the scripture tells us, doesn't even realize this about himself. He doesn't even realize that his face is shining from being with God. But notice who does see it. Verse 30, Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses. So so they're noting how his face is shining, and notice how they respond. As they saw him, they were afraid to come near him. Now why is this? Uh, Again, the people had seen Moses before coming down from the mountain. Why, Why were they scared now? Well, I think the reason they were scared was because they understood that they were beginning to comprehend that what was radiating from Moses was a reflection of God's glory and God's holiness. And whenever we see sinful man encounter the glory and the holiness of God in the Word, the response is always the same. It's one of fear, it's one of shame, and it's one where men and women will plant their face in the ground. Why is that? Because there is something about our sin encountering God's holiness that makes us want to hide. That there's something about our our darkest secrets becoming exposed that makes us want to keep those things in the darkness. Consider how we respond, not even just with God, but with man. Consider the lengths people will go to to cover up, to hide their darkest secrets consider the news stories that you'll see over and over again about a politician about a celebrity about someone of some sort of fame and fortune who will spend thousands tens of thousands perhaps even millions of dollars to cover something up that they don't want it to be exposed they don't want people to know what took place in their life they are seeking to hide their sin. You consider it just in your own life. Perhaps 
I'm assuming most of us in this room haven't been blackmailed recently, but, but, but you've probably known what it was to have something wrong you did become known to someone else. Now, maybe you've had to tell somebody you loved or cared about that you had not been truthful with them. Maybe you've had to confess to them a lie that you told. Maybe you've had to tell someone about something you're ashamed of, you're not proud of, something that happened in your past, something you wish that nobody ever knew about. How, how do you feel in those moments? For most of us, we feel fearful. For most of us, we feel shame. For most of us, we don't want the darkest things in our lives exposed. You might think of it this way. Imagine last night that I were to give you a phone call. Say, hey, we're having a little something different at church in the morning. Uh, somebody delivered to me a DVD. And this DVD on it, it's got your name on there. And I'm not sure how they did this, but I popped it in and started to watch it. And it seems that every terrible, awful thing you ever did or ever thought is on this DVD. And I thought it'd be fun tomorrow if we just showed that at church to everybody. Does that sound okay to you? I mean, I'll bring the popcorn. I'm sure we can draw a crowd. Well, would anybody even for a moment consider that? No. I wouldn't consider it. I'd come up here and say it was nice being your pastor and I'm going to go find another church now that doesn't have a DVD player. I don't think any of us would say, we want everyone to know our deepest and darkest moments. Now listen, that's just us with each other. That, that's just us feeling ashamed of what we've done and other sinful people falling, finding out about it. How much more fear, how much more shame, how much more should we be overwhelmed at the thought of being exposed before a holy and righteous God? And what we see in the Scripture is when people encounter the holiness of God, all this shame, all this fear, it overwhelms them. And the people, as they see Moses coming down, they just get a glimmer of the radiance of the glory of God in His face. And that's enough for them to say, we don't want to go close to Him. Now, just, just need to fast forward here for a moment to the Gospel the good news that the gospel is, friends, we don't have to live in that shame and fear, do we? We don't have to live with this constant fear and guilt and, and burden that somehow people will find out because we serve a sovereign God who, knowing every wicked thing we would ever do, placed His Son on the cross to die for those very things. Now, that's where our hope is. That's where the good news of the gospel is. 1 Peter 2.24, He, Jesus, Himself, bore our sins in His body on the tree, on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. And so the Gospel offers us hope. The Gospel offers us grace. The Gospel offers us peace. But in Exodus 34 that the people don't know the fullness of the gospel yet. They don't know the good news that you and I know today. And what they know is that they are seeing just a glimpse of the glory of God, and that is enough for them to feel ashamed and to feel fearful. 
But as we continue, we see something else here, point two there in your outline. We see that Moses' radiance was temporal. Moses' radiance was temporal. It was temporary. Notice how we learn this. Verse 31, Moses comes and he, he, he tells the people all that the Lord had commanded. And so God had given Moses instruction on the mountain. Now he comes and he shares all that with the people and they are brought in, so they're initially scared, but he, he kind of brings the leaders in, brings the people in. And then in verse 33 it says, when he had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. And then 34 and 35 say that whenever he'd go in to meet with the Lord, he'd take the veil off his face. When he'd speak to the people what the Lord had said, he'd have the veil off his face. But then he put this veil back on his face. And now why is this? Well, Honestly, Exodus 34 really doesn't tell us. <laughs> well, we're not left with much from Exodus 34 other than we know the people were afraid of this, this shining, this glow on Moses' face. So we might imply from that that perhaps Moses did this because the people were fearful. But I don't think that's a very good answer. Because whenever Moses spoke to the people, the veil wasn't on his face. It was only after he had met with the Lord, after he had spoken with the people, that he put this veil on his face. The question is, why? And the answer comes as we, again, move forward. As we look to what the New Testament tells us about this passage. The best way to understand an Old Testament passage is when the New Testament has teaching on it. When someone in the New Testament preaches on that, and we have that very thing here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he's explaining to them why the new covenant is so much better than the old covenant. Why God's grace and mercy and salvation by faith are so much better than a works-based righteousness, than seeking to be made righteous by the law. And in explaining these things, he goes back to Exodus 34 and he says this, 2 Corinthians 3 verses 12 and 13. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. What's Paul saying here? Well, I think Paul is indicating that the reason that Moses veiled his face is because his glory was fading. Because the shining glow from his face did not last. He, he had to go and meet with the Lord again for his face to shine. But over time, he, his face lost that glow. So again, why is this a big deal at all? Why veil your face, Moses? Well, just think of it this way. We've already seen in the book of Exodus how God's people were so fickle. We, we've seen how quick they were to turn on Moses. We've seen how they even came to a point at one time where they wanted to kill Moses. So you can imagine how they might respond here. Well, let's say it's the day when Moses comes down the mountain and his face is shining and that night you've just got one of those Hebrew families sitting around having dinner with some friends and some other family members and the conversation might go something like, wow, did, I mean, did you see Moses' face today? Yeah, I, I've, never, I've never seen anything like it. I was just overwhelmed. I mean, his face, it was, just, it was just shining. Yeah, I've never seen anything like it too. And I think, I mean, it was just, it was something from God. It was obvious that Moses had been with God. 
I mean, I know we've doubted Him before, but it's clear now. He is from God, and He was meeting with God on that mountain. A couple of days go by. Imagine Moses doesn't veil his face. That that shining starts to diminish. That glory starts to fade. Those same folks are having dinner. You know, I ran into Moses today. You know, his face isn't really shining so much anymore. I'm starting to wonder if he pulled one over on us. I mean... I haven't been up the mountain. You haven't been up the mountain. We're just trusting what Moses says when he comes down from the mountain. I'm not sure how he did it, but if he really met with God, surely his face would still be shining, wouldn't it? It's only been a few days. A few days more go by. You know, I just, I just don't know about Moses. I mean, the other day I thought maybe, but look at it. He just looks like plain old Moses now. You know what never faded? The gold on that cow we made. Man, that thing looked nice every day. It didn't change. It didn't fade. Maybe we need to go back to creating something that we can make, that we can worship, just like they did back in Egypt. It wasn't so bad back in Egypt. Those gods seem to serve the Egyptians pretty well, at least up there till the end. You see, I think the people's fickle hearts and how quick they are to base their understanding of God on their circumstances and their feelings, glad we don't deal with that today, I think they would have quickly turned again against Moses. And so in God's goodness and His providence here, I think He had Moses veil His face, lest the people turn against Him. But again, the question is, why is this important? What does this have to do with us this morning? And friend, it's this. Exodus 34 is a picture that helps us to understand that the Old Covenant was not sufficient. That we cannot be saved by our works that no matter how hard we try to follow God's law, we will always fall short. A works-based righteousness will save no one. And the great travesty of the church today is we, under a new covenant, under the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ, we still default back to a gospel of works. I mean, think of the things that you and I say and hear so often. See if you can finish this one for me. God helps those who help. Now, you can feel free to respond. What book of the Bible is that in? Chapter, verse... I mean, we say it all the time, that God helps those who help themselves. Isn't that what we sang earlier? God helps those who help themselves. If you look, by the way, uh, you'll find it attributed to Ben Franklin, poor Richard's almanac. You'll find it attributed to different Greek and Stoic philosophers. And here's the kicker. <laughs> you'll actually find something very similar to that in the Quran. So here we are, 
New Testament believers walking around saying something that's a lot closer to the Quran than it is to the Bible. In fact, it's the exact opposite of what the Bible teaches us. You know what the Bible teaches us? God helps those whom God helps. God saves those whom God saves. God shows mercy to those whom God shows mercy to. God shows grace to those whom God shows grace to. Not one of us in this room has done anything so magnificent that it turned the face of God and He looked down and said, well, that one's trying pretty hard. You know, it looks like Richard's trying to help himself. Yeah, he's trying to help himself. Well, I'll help him now. No. Now, that's the opposite of the gospel. The gospel says this, Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you've been saved through your works. No. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. This is the gift of God. Not as a result of works. So that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So you see the order there? We are saved to do good works. But good works do not save. And friends, if you get this order confused, we're talking about eternity here. We're talking about your salvation here. If you were under some notion this morning that if you just try hard enough and your good outweighs your bad, you're going to be okay, friend. That is wrong. That is not the Scripture. That is a lie. And that will not save you. God is showing you grace this morning. God is showing you mercy this morning. God indeed is helping you this morning through His Word which tells us plainly that Christ died on the cross not for 80% of our sin, but for all of our sin. He did not say to us, well just try really hard and you start the race and I'll finish it for you. The Scripture says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. You want to see a picture of the gospel? Look at creation. In creation, God creates a corpse. He creates Adam out of the dust of the ground. He's a corpse. And the scripture says he breathes life into him. And then he comes alive. That is the gospel, friends. Yeah, you and I are born physically alive. We're walking around, we're talking, we're moving, we're doing all these physical things, but the Scripture says in our hearts we're born dead in our sin, that our eyes are veiled. We can't even see it, we can't even recognize it. We think we're pretty good people. And we pray that through the work of the Spirit, through the grace of God, He would just lift that veil up that we might just see for a moment the weight of our sin and the glory of God that leads us to repent and to cry out and trust in Him. And that's when the work begins. The work of the Spirit of the living God who then leads us towards righteousness. 
we see here this great contrast between the temporal, the temporary work of the old covenant and the eternal work of the new covenant because that gaze that people had as they looked towards Moses and they saw that glimpse of glory, that glory was going to fade, but it points us towards gazing on one whose glory never fades. And that's the final point there in your outline, point three. In Christ, we behold the glory of God and we are being transformed. So, the more we learn about Moses, the more we learn about Jesus. The more we study Exodus, the more we see the gospel. And how do we see that here? Here where Moses is on the mountaintop. Moses has had this mountaintop experience with God. Moses has been in the presence of God. Moses is now radiating the glory of God. Fast forward to Matthew 17 where Moses has another mountaintop experience. Matthew 17 tells us this, beginning in verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared with them Moses and Elijah talking with him. After the first service, somebody said, well, how do you think they knew it was Moses and Elijah? I have no idea, but that was a great question. Maybe they heard him say, hey, Moses, hey, Elijah. But, but they knew. And, and imagine this contrast. Moses goes up the mountaintop in Exodus. He meets with God. He comes down. He's got this glow about him. His face is shining. But that glory is going to fade. He tells the people a law they couldn't obey. He sees how, how miserable the people are trying over and over and over again to somehow be righteous by their works. And then the day comes in the halls of eternity where God calls up Moses and Elijah and says, I've got a job for you today. I want you to minister to my son, to the living Christ. I want you to go to another mountain. And there you will behold a glory that never fades. Friends, that's the Gospel. This Gospel that's not veiled but is clear before us. And so notice what happens in Matthew 17. It says he was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. So God declares from heaven, This is my Son. This is the Christ. Behold His glory. Listen to Him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. The glory was not veiled, they beheld it. And what did God tell them to do? He said, listen to Him. We live in a Christian culture where it's become common for us to ask the question, what would Jesus do? But notice the question here points us another direction. What did Jesus say? Do that. 
That the Christian life is not one where we need to imagine scenarios of what would Jesus do? I wonder what Jesus would think about this. No, God says from heaven to the disciples, here's my son, listen to what he says, do it. Friends, we're called to obedience to the words of Christ. And when this happens, we see this transforming in our lives. This work of the Spirit. And so as we put all these pieces together, then it becomes clear what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. When he says, as we read earlier, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And so here's what this is. You put Exodus 33 and 2 Corinthians 3 and Matthew 17, you put it all together, here's what you see. Is it just like Moses? There should be some evidence in our lives if we've been with the Lord. Your life should look different having met with the Lord. And if the only discernible difference in your life from the world around us, the unbelieving world, the non-Christian world, if the only difference in your life from theirs is that you came to church this morning, if there's no other fruit, if there's no other change, if there's no other evidence, if there's never anything in your life that people look to and say, there's something different about them. Something's changed here. Friends, if you don't have fruit of repentance in your life, that's a good indication that you don't have repentance in your life. And and listen, I don't know how many more times I have to say this or how many more times you have to listen to it, so just hear me for a moment. You're going to die and you're going to stand before God. It is a certainty And on that day, there is nothing in the Scripture that suggests that God cares about one good thing you did or one good thing I've done. The question is this. Have you truly trusted in Jesus Christ for the salvation of your eternal soul? And have you put your faith in Him? Have you gotten to the point where you have said, yes, I want to die to sin and I want to be made alive to Christ? Or are you still holding on to the things of this world? Friends, we will become like that which we worship. And if what is your object of devotion in your life is something of this world, a status, a relationship, a person, a bank account, material things, if that's, if that's what your focus is day in and day out, that is indeed what you worship and that is what will transform your life. But the Scripture calls us a different direction. God says, this is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. And we have the opportunity to do what we see happening in Matthew 17, to just look and see Christ and to behold Him and His Word, and to seek to obey it in the power of His Spirit, and then He does this miraculous work in our life where we become more and more like Jesus. And so rather than trying to veil ourselves because the glory is fading, our, our shine, our glow, it grows brighter and brighter as we become more and more like Jesus.
And so it comes down to this. Look at your life today. Are you looking more like Christ? Are you looking more like the world? God does not help those who help themselves. God helps those whom God helps. And He is helping you today through His Word, and He is calling you through His Word today to repent and trust in Him and be transformed into the image of His Son, to Christ. You would stand together, and if you would join me in prayer. Father God, I do pray and ask that, that you would remove a veil right now. That the scripture says that the gospel is veiled to those whom are perishing. And so I pray, Lord, if there's any here this morning who is perishing, that you would remove that veil from their eyes, that they might behold the glory of the gospel of Christ. And I pray, God, that with with clarity that perhaps has never been there before, that, that, that every one of us would see that the beauty and the truth of the Gospel, that You demonstrate Your love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if we will confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that, God, that You raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Father, help us to repent of any notion that we're going to earn our salvation or we're going to work harder and we're going to turn your eye that somehow our good's going to outweigh our bad. Help us to turn, Lord, from the sin in our lives, that the sin that is so rampant, that which we are devoted to, help us to repent and trust in Christ. And Lord, the good news of the Gospel is if we respond to this call that You, through the power of Your Spirit, will do a work among us that You will transform us into the image of Your Son. But Father, I pray You would do that work among us today. In Christ's name, Amen.